Harpo the Healer, welcome to the Harping with Harpo series. This is pod 24. Don't forget to check back and have a look at all the other pods. It's a supplement to Harpo the Healer on YouTube. We've been loosely basing things on, on harmonica and genre and then moving into lots of different areas of music, but we cover a vast range of subjects on the pods from unsolved mysteries to um, uh, catastrophic events. Um, to the cosmos and uh, aliens and all that sort of stuff. So uh, a huge range of things. Today I'm going to let my mind wander as a solo talking head and I'm looking at the greatest motorsport event in the world. So strap yourselves in and let's go. The question today is what makes the Isle of Man TT races the greatest motorsport event in the world? I guess uh, this question is most probably best answered simply if I give an explanation of the event. The Isle of Man is a tiny country situated in the Irish Sea between Great Britain and Ireland. And most of the year it's a sleepy tax haven, however it's brought to vibrant life with the TT Motorcycle Race which stands for Tourist Trophy held in late May and June each year. There's a sister kind of race, the Manx Grand Prix that's held in August, September and that's mainly for the amateur riders and it can be a good stepping stone towards completing at the TT. There's a few main differences in the Manx they don't have the sidecar categories and some of the engine sizes are not quite as big particularly in the in the senior races sometimes uh, well six laps of, of the seniors I think they're on four I think but uh, those are some of, there are other differences but that's the main ones. The races are on closed off public roads which circumnavigate the island which is 37 and a half miles in length or a little bit more accurate 37.73 miles currently. And the elevation goes from sea level to 1,300 feet and is known as the mountain course. The format for the Isle of Man TT well it's a time trial. Each bike sets off at uh, 10 second intervals and there's a, a week of practicing and qualifying and then the second week is the week of racing. And would you believe there's between 200 and 220 turns and bends depending on people's interpretations of the small curves, bumps, humps and all the rest of it. For the motorcycle competitor it's the ultimate test. The test of skill, endurance, courage, tenacity of man, well when I say man I mean man, woman, as a collective, man and machine as one. At least every mile has a name associated with it, and many often depicting the sheer beauty of the landscape. Names like Glenvine, Glen Helen, Greber Castle, Appledine, Ballaspur, Ballacrane, Gooseneck, list goes on. And riders have often stated the sheer exhilaration, probably madness if you like, from the start 
in Douglas, which is the capital of the Isle of Man. It's, well, it's the largest town there. It's on the eastern side. 2011 had a population of about 27,000. It's located at the mouth of the River Douglas, and it's on kind of a sweeping bay of two miles, three kilometres. The River Douglas forms part of the town's harbour and a main commercial port. So, full throttle from Douglas as they go tearing on to Ninian's Crossroads, where they actually take off airborne for about 0 0.5, 0 0.6, 0 0.7 of a second, and then down Bray Hill at speeds of 170, 180 mile an hour. They reach speeds on the straights around 200 miles an hour. And yet, when they get to the north of the island, hit the Ramsey hairpin, they're down to just a few miles an hour, just to get round that. Uh, the uh, exhilaration, not just experienced by the rider, but in a way by, by the spectators, who in their own way are all part of the riders and the machines. Hundreds of bikers arrive on the island each year to watch the races, but it's not just bikers, there's uh, people from come from all over the world, and it's a family event. Uh, families come there every year, all ages, and they're all transfixed by the whole spectacle. And it's almost like when races are in progress, people say unbelievably feeling of, of, of being alive and reality almost suspended inside the races where every single thing at that point when a race is being taken is, is, is focused on, on the track. I sound like I should be working for the uh, Manx Tourist Board, shouldn't I? Well, with all these things, it's such a fantastic spectacle, but with all these things, there is a dark side. And uh, just about any other country in the world that had a similar race, it would have been banned by now, out and out banned. And like all road racing, many other dangers to overcome. There are so many more added dangers with road racing. At the Isle of Man TT, there's really no uh, protection catch fences or runoffs. All the curbs are raised, obviously, for pavements, and they're still the normally raised pavements. There's no soft areas to land in. All the normal dangers, hazards of walls, buildings, and occasionally spectators. Signposts, trees are all still there as potential hazards if the rider doesn't get it right. Of course, the TT and the Manx have had their critics due to mainly fatalities, and back in the 70s, the safety groups were pushing and pushing, and some of the uh, Grand Prix riders and teams were reluctant or even boycotted uh, racing at the Isle of Man. Uh, so much so that in 1976, it was uh, no longer granted its Grand Prix status. Now, at this point, you'd think, well, that's the end of that, they're on a slippery slope. Well, actually, on the contrary, the Isle of Man TT became even more popular and opened and opened the way for some more semi-pro riders to come in and it just went from strength to strength. Now, other countries do do road racing. In fact, a precursor to the TT is the Northwest 200, uh, which is a road race um, in uh, Ireland. And there are other road races throughout the world with these particular dangers. However, all other road races throughout the world are a little bit wider the mark where statistics are concerned with what I'm about to mention here. And it's for this reason. The dark side is that there's been more than 250 deaths at the TT in the Max Grand Prix. The deadliest year so far was, well, the deadliest year was 2005, I believe, when 11 died during uh, the two main event race of the TT, that's three riders and one marshal. And uh, in the August and June at the Manx Grand Prix, six riders and one bystander. And that was in just one year. But you can do the maths, it's, it's in the 250s 
category at the moment started in 1911 but you can do the maths there's an average per year isn't there and that's the reason why uh, it is so unique it's uh, it's like anything you have uh, there's always a, a dark side but I don't want to dwell on it that's um, as is we have to move on and it, it is what it is and it wouldn't be the greatest race in the world if it didn't have such precarious elements in it so with what I've just outlined why do motorcyclists riders why do they come and ride here well number one clearly they've got to be made of stern stuff haven't they well first and foremost I think it's the challenge simply to complete the course to be able to compete in the ultimate motorcycle race secondly I think notoriety and I think the notoriety is very significant notoriety it's often said in uh, motorcycle circles to do with the TT that uh, a podium spot yep that makes a legend but really you're a legend at the TT simply for taking part that just about sums up the whole thing doesn't it now plenty of riders have, have won um, Grand Prix but relatively speaking they're known in motorcycle circles only where to have some relative success at the TT a podium spot perhaps a, a lap record perhaps or uh, or partial parts of a lap because they uh, they um, clock different sections of the track well these things can elevate the rider to be known in much wider circles and it has been known from riders to be plucked from obscurity and become television personalities and all sorts so if you've got some talent coupled with a um, little bit of personality you know there's opportunity opportunities are becking in all different directions from competing at the TT and based on that you know somebody could literally come from nowhere you know a privateer could come over with his own bike and his mechanic with his van come over for a couple of weeks and um, and you know he could be plucked from obscurity it is possible and theoretically theoretically anyway it is possible for this very small team or even the privateer to race and well with an awful lot of luck and one thing and another it is possible that he could get a they could get a podium spot or even win it um, in theory however in reality they would need an awful amount of luck because you're up against big teams you know mechanics where they've got whole teams behind the rider you know psychologists psychiatrists you know the massage all the stuff looking after the rider so you're up against all that but there, you know there is a slim possibility and don't forget that experience uh, well in my view anyway in other walks of life not necessarily this but um, experience over um, youth and all the rest of it I go for experience every time I guess with this game at the Isle of Man and it's probably similar in uh, military circumstances you know when in the Second World War paratroopers talking about the new guys coming in in the Band of Brothers series and how they they got it first you know they're well trained but of course they're not battle hardened and they come into the fray and they're usually the ones that got it first and people couldn't really understand why so surely you know the newbie coming in has to has to learn the game and not try and push the boat out too much and I think maybe that's one of the problems here you know so I would go for experience every time so on top of all the mechanics and the psychiatrists and all the things that the big teams have they've got riders even young riders who having an awful lot of experience they're doing an awful lot of riding to give you a clear understanding of exactly what takes place there's nothing like actually 
using your eyes and seeing something is there so there's three documentaries I think three or four that you could watch on the tube here on the net and they would give you a really good appraisal of the semi-professional guy the, the, the top pro and the privateer the one they made in 2010 called closer to the edge I think with them um, which plucked Guy Martin a semi-professional motorcyclist from obscurity to become a television personality and presenter and all the rest of it and that was a typical example of them um, because they'd made another documentary before that before he'd been sort of plucked on this one and Al Frazera checked that one out which is just before and on that documentary where he was featured again but, um, that's why the Isle of Man is so unique and there's about three or four documentaries that you can actually watch on the net very easily and it'll give you a very good understanding of, uh, of the situation with regarding the professionals and semi-professionals and how it all works so I'm now going to consider what makes a good TT prospect let's say a rider that through the fullness of time is able to compete realistically and say can finish within the first 12 first up to 12th position you know 10th or 12th position something respectable and able to produce a level of consistency now of course there's always exceptions to the rule as we said before however these are some of the ingredients that um, I've come up with the first one is a sparks ignited from a parent usually the father mainly guys some girls of course some women but um, mainly the father where the sparks come from and uh, sets the seed in the, in the sun and uh, the father's been a racer or is in, a, a huge enthusiast and sets that spark early doors secondly the sort of successful rider have come from say scrambling bikes or motocross or from trials riding and they've been on a bike from an early age and mainly in other words they've been on a bike early and really from learning poise and balance and the uh, racing road racing circuit racing that appears later you know the trials riding the the balance and poise I think that's uh, that's crucial that seems to be um, apparent in quite a lot of these guys then we've got the spark ignited from living within five to ten miles of a motorcycle dealership a dealership of a reasonable size and probably a dealership where the uh, the guy that owned the dealership had been a racer or their sons had been racers or whatever or they got a family history of it and that simply is a seed that can be sown into a school child or whatever and they see uh, these dealerships and they see um, and that sort of thing is sort of eating away inside them and they sim or they sim the next one is um, they simply happen to live near old airfields where they have the uh, opportunity to ride around them on various things and race various things that's a possibility and or, or being in the rural farmers farmland or coming from farming stock or have access to that for off-road type things embracing it from quite a young age and have a sort of family tradition there's exceptions to the rule of course but they're uh, they're some of the, the the ones that I can see uh, uh, quite common in the uh, in a good TT prospect a little bit like the soccer player the young kid they say with the soccer player you know he starts kicking a ball at four or five years old the skills are within him and, and they're cemented by the time they're 11 years old there's nothing else they've, they've got everything together they can be coached to be better and they learn lots of other things later but the essential skills are nailed down by the time they're about 11, 11 and a half years old certainly by the time they're 12 you know because of the amount of soccer they're doing well 
you know for the TT prospect similar thing they don't really think much of much else they love bikes and um, anything to do with bikes at all they that's uh, you know it's gonna gonna sort of um, envelope them it's going to engross them all the time and I think that's uh, another key component of a successful um, TT rider and another caution say the guy that's living within a dealership range and it's eating away at him for years as a school kid and then they all they want to do is mechanic and they uh, deftly then they learn to be a motorcycle mechanic and their dream initially is to work for one of these dealerships and of course once they get into the dealership they're surrounded with people who do short circuit racing at the weekends and, and lots of guys do amateur racing and then they attempt to start doing it themselves and if they see a bit of potential then off they go and they get obviously a clear a lot of advice from the guys around them and that's another way of surrounding yourself with people who are better than you uh, and learning on learning every single day of your life and I think that's uh, another key ingredient for some of the uh, for some of the uh, successful riders. Then of course there's the guy who's been brought up on the Isle of Man, a Manxman. He, they always tend to be a favourite amongst all fans, even the ones who are rooting for other people. A Manx rider, or you know, he's um, always uh, they always like them to do well. Uh, who's a guy that's been brought up on the island, um, always feel as a there's a soft spot for those guys. In the main, the riders don't shout from the rooftops about their abilities, the chances of the TT. I think because of the uh, the level of uncertainty. There's, of course, an exception to the rule. There's been a few in the past. One great rider from the past, you can look him up. He became a TV personality at one time who uh, did actually show up at the Isle of Man and telling people what he was going to do and uh, kind of... Um, creating an intimidation for his teammates and opponents and of course you've got to be able to back it up and he did and a fantastic racer fantastic personality his name was Carl Fogarty and so there are a few who have a, a maverick approach he was one of them fantastic uh, fantastic personality and character of which the sport needs of course it uh, it needs characters like that of course the TT course officials attempt each year to make it as safe as they possibly can for everyone but uh, motorcycle racing is dangerous by definition and as if you've ever been to a short circuit racetrack uh, you'll often see a sign there uh, or, um, or in small print on the back of your entrance ticket uh, simply to that effect that um, it's a dangerous business and they uh, you know there's not guarantees 100% guarantees of safety that's just a fact of life I think. The organizers of the uh, TT do an excellent job uh, regarding safety and the new riders well, they get a lot of helpful information and ex-riders take them around the course uh, suggesting helpful hints and, and safety and all the rest of it. Well, as much as safety can be in something that's uh, about racing as fast as possible. So, um, I guess it boils down to practice week. That's the crucial thing. Getting the riders accustomed to the course and ranking the riders and see who's the fastest in, in practice. And um, that's uh, crucial really. The weather clearly plays a significant role because uh, the riders, they need the TT course for both weeks to be as dry as possible, hopefully with no rain. And the more practice laps the rider gets in, the better it is all round for everyone. Now I haven't graced the Isle of Man TT turf for many, many years. But I first landed there as a teenager, I was still in school actually, with a friend of mine. We bunked off for a week and um, 
we were out of school um, back in the 70s and uh, we uh, we attended the um, the Manx Grand Prix the one in the August and early September and it was great we had a fantastic time we went over as foot passengers on the ferry and saw all the bikers lined up all the, uh, the spectators coming over to watch on the bikes they all sort of line up on the ferry ready to all get off at the same time and we stayed up in a place called Ramsey in the north part of the island a little guest house this little old lady and this was the first experiences of uh, of seeing racing um, on the um, well road racing anyway in those days the practice sessions were very early in the morning like six o'clock in the morning so our first night in this little guest house you could hear the screaming of the engines because we didn't make the first practice session which was uh, that early that was our first experiences and then when the racing started the uh, we went on foot and found ourselves at the uh, the famous Ramsey hairpin this sort of is uh, hairpin is exactly what it is uh, they almost the riders are almost stopping to get round it uh, it's a great place to to first see it because we stood and we watched the bikes coming up on a straight from ramp coming from the, the the town of Ramsey coming up and coming up the straight road to the to the hairpin so we could see hear them screaming up the road and then watch them come around the hairpin and then set off up the hill towards waterworks my friend and i were both rooting for a guy called uh, nick jeffries who was uh, just coming onto the scene at that time he did really well at the uh, at the Manx Grand Prix, I think he, he made podium spots, might even have won it, I can't remember, it was that far back, but I know he was on a, a podium winner, for sure, um, and we were rooting for him because my father, I believe, knew his father, and uh, they come. he comes from a whole dynasty of, uh, of racing, his father had a dealership, his father before him, and his brother Tony, is uh, older, I believe, he was a, a TT winner. Uh, Nick Jeffries himself went on to be a TT winner of the scene, I think, 1993, years later. But you could see at that early stage uh, his riding style and, and the fact that um, he was a talent that was going to go on to bigger and better things, of course. I know he's, he's done lots of trials and, and things like that. Now, his nephew, years later, a guy called David Jeffries, that's his uh, elder brother's son, I believe, hope I've got that right, uh, became a wonderful uh, TT winner and David, uh, I think he had uh, nine TT wins and his last senior one was in 2002. Sadly, he, uh, he lost his life in uh, the 2003 practice session for the TT. I think it was a turn at Crosby, it was a shallow left-hand turn and uh, they go through their speeds about 160 and um, sadly uh, something happened and um, he passed away there but uh, David Jeffries was a fantastic uh, TT rider he specialized in the uh, street circuits really such as the Isle of Man and the Northwest 200 where he was four times winner and at the Isle of Man TT Jeffries was the first rider to lap in excess of 125 miles per hour or 201 kilometers and he was the first to win three races during the week-long festival for three consecutive years and he was also uh, set the absolute lap record for the Isle of Man TT course during the 2002 senior TT. Going back to Nick Jeffries it seems strange that two kids stood up at the Ramsey hairpin I remember way back then as a kid that uh, there weren't many people where we were stood and if he was coming hammering up from Ramsey to that hairpin he would have uh, he would have seen us for sure 
each lap as he was coming up there because um, the other people are at one side or the other are up on the other banking but um, but yeah that's, that's quite interesting so that was uh, that was my first experiences of uh, of the uh, the mountain course the next thing that fascinates me is um, some of these riders have periods where they become pretty consistent and I'm going to talk about some of the riders who win a series of TTs in a row or over the course of time they do well in, in a certain period. Uh, before I do that I just mentioned that oh, back in the day many many years ago I did have when I first started uh, getting into driving and transport I did have motorcycles only in my young life and I um, I had Suzuki's and Yamaha's and I often used to think you know sometimes I'd be on the uh, motorways and stuff and I'd be doing maybe 100, 120, 25 mile an hour something like that and I remember riding over more right over on the on the sort of way out roads late at night and uh, going pretty fast as, as some as like a young idiot that I probably was you know but I was using it as a mode of transport to get from A to B really that's why I was using them but I often used to think well I'm going at these speeds and uh, and things uh, do come the other way where at least in racing everything's going in the same direction I remember thinking at one point mm, maybe I could uh, I could get into this but um, I never did I'm gonna mention that uh, in a minute why I never did and it was basically harps back to um, to that incident when I was uh, 16 sort of years 50 16 years old uh, at the at the Manx Grand Prix and what had happened was that um, as I mentioned I've been at this little guest house with my mate and there was a family there with two grannies and this this guy and his wife and he, the eldest son he was in the in the air force and he was he was on leave and there was a couple of other siblings and they got like a, a minibus that they brought over to the Isle of Man and we'd been at uh, a couple of places he says well look we're going to Balaft uh, the bridge there uh, tomorrow do you want to come with us you see so we got very friendly with uh, with this family and so that was great for us because we got to be able to see quite a few uh, different areas uh, to watch the racing well we went to Balaf to Balaf bridge there and we watched uh, and it's the first time I learned that uh, I watched the bikes actually take off as they come over the bridge and then arc round on the way uh, really good point a uh, good place to watch actually um, and uh, saw a couple of riders um, retire at that very spot simply because when they if they when they hit the back wheel sometimes they can wreck the gearboxes and uh, I spoke to both riders as a young kid as as you do when I'm see these guys come off and then just go and stand it with the spectators or going to the local pub I just follow them in ask them what happened and in every case they they'd bust the gearbox you know but uh, the, the, with that family the next day I think we went up to Gooseneck in Ramsey um, that's the that sort of, sort of bends round on a double it's uh, after waterworks it's a really good place to stand up on the bank in there it's fantastic and we were at Gooseneck and we were rooting for a guy who was, uh, he had Royal Air Force written all over his machine and he was racing and we were rooting for him because uh, the guy, the eldest lad with the family, was um, he was uh, in, the, in the Royal Air Force you see so we were really rooting for him and after a couple of laps coming round Gooseneck he'd, he'd brushed the, 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 the bush one time right in front of us actually anyway we were cheering for him but then he, he never came round on the third lap and nothing was actually said over the tannoy and in the Isle of Man, in, well in those days, I don't know if they still do, but if they don't make any reference to him, 
it's usually because uh, something quite uh, serious has happened and uh, to cut a long story short that guy actually I think he was very very seriously injured or he did lose his life so um, um, that, uh, that was uh, that was quite memorable and that was probably etched in my mind when I uh, when I had my own bikes because I, I thought um, you know it was always in the back of your mind but having said that I did do a little bit of uh, racing and it wasn't for me I realized that the uh, the talent uh, wasn't in me for, for doing that sort of thing and I would have probably got myself killed so um, it wasn't for me but um, it's just a reflection there isn't it that at such a young age you see things like that and and sometimes it can spur people on and sometimes it doesn't it's just uh, one of those things anyway what I want to do now is turn my attention to why some of these riders um, get like a consistency going because of course with the Alleman TT it's every year so they might be racing Grand Prix or they might be racing some other things but they're not really road racing to the uh, to extent and like this around a, a 37 mile you know um, sort of uh, island circuit they're not nothing like that with all these turns and things so uh, what I'm looking at what I'd like to look at now is just how they managed to get consistency. Since the Alaman started there's been about 300 riders taking victory at the Alaman TTs over its long history and out of the winners there have been uh, some big names in the motorcycle uh, world from the days of uh, Grand Prix racing when it was on the Grand Prix uh, calendar. Gimano, Agostini, Mike Halewood, Ron Haslam, Jeff Duke, Phil Reed and the new talent now taking its uh, getting their names on the on the podium Michael Dunlop Peter Hickman, Lee Johnson, Dean Harrison. The most wins ever so far is the great Joey Dunlop with 26 road racing legend. The fantastic John McGuinness is 23 and the amazing Michael Dunlop is third on the list and he's still only 32 years old as I make this uh, podcast. An incredible 19 wins. The sidecars are wonderful to watch if you get a chance. I'm mainly discussing two wheels here. However, there's a fantastic achievement by Dave Molyneux. He's a Manxman. He's got 17 wins on the sidecars. So he gets up with some of the two-wheeler guys here. That's an incredible achievement. Back to two wheels, we've got Ian Hutchinson on um, 16. Bruce Ancy 12. Hislop 11. There's a few people on 12, a few people on these, these figures. Steve Hislop 11. I'm just running down them. Agostini on 10. And we come way down, we've got David Je Jeffries on 9, uh, Mick Grant down to 7. There's a few people on 9, a few people on 8, I'm just not going through the whole, the whole list here. But, um, I mean, it's an incredible achievement just simply to, uh, to win one. But um, my interest is the fact of why they get these years of consistency, and then there's like a bit of a tail-off. Well, here's my thoughts on it. First, um, well, the bike. A change of specifications on the bikes probably whether it's from the organizers or whether it's from the, uh, the teams or different bikes after them using the same bikes maybe the weather the weather change well that may have a touch to do with it but I doubt it really because you know really as far as the TT is concerned it should be uh, ridden in the dry or maybe just a touch of light rain but at least in a or if it has been rain that the track has dried out and of course that there's no fog or are going to appear or being on the mountain of course so you know conditions have to be pretty fair so so um so you know so I don't kind of 
seen weather as a you know maybe one year but not year after year after year so I can't see that that being a, a, a real factor um, but of course we need you know you need dry weather coming back from injury well not enough time coming back from injury in other words not enough time on the bikes and then having to be out year in year out from injury that's kind of a kind of a common one I guess that's starting to and then they have to claw it back and it seems to me um, that, that this this movement of coming back inch by inch moving up moving up and getting more confident each time even for riders who've had a, a layoff and been very very successful I think that is, is something else yeah so if it's not the bike it's the human condition an area that you know, as a musician, uh, I do comic art, and I've done bits of writing in my past. The human condition is of huge interest to me. It fascinates me, and it's something that I just can't help but study. Uh, study it all the time. Now, of course, with age comes, um, you know, eye coordination, slightly slower reflexing. And we see this, for example, in um, snooker and golf. But, of course, um, as with the, the professional footballer, the soccer player, as he uh, as he ages as they age they simply adapt their game to suit um, and their slight agility changes or they stay the same but finally when they do retire as a soccer player they've got screws and pins all over haven't they and then um, they suffer in other ways whereas um, the TT rider through injuries may well have those screws and pins early doors and carry on to be a successful rater in in later later years so um, so there's kind of a, a slight difference there. Psychology, I think that plays a huge, huge part. I, now I could be wrong on this, I hope uh, uh, I'm forgiven for this, but for example, the wonderful gifted rider, huge, huge talent, 16 wins, the great Ian Hutchinson, um, had a horrendous injury to his leg, nearly lost his leg. But it wasn't, wasn't at the TT, it was on a circuit somewhere in the pouring rain, where someone clipped him, came off and I think the last ride on the grid rode over his leg or whatever and it was touch and go with him for a long long time and he, he, uh, he came through this and years later he's riding at the TT and he's over the mountain section and over the mountain section it, it statistically it's always been known to be very fast over the mountain section he was known for this and uh, on this particular occasion on later TTs he's already been a very successful rider and then he's had some time out and he's back on it again and, um, and he came off, I think he did a fine injury there. Now, it, it wasn't, whatever it was, he, he clipped to come off there, uh, it doesn't matter, but it's, the point is, maybe, just maybe, way back in the psyche, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm fast over the mountain section, so um, I'm known to be fast over the mountain section. Maybe that's in his subconscious at that time, now, whether it's a good thing to have all these statistics sitting inside or not, it's up to the individual. It may have been good for Ian, it may not be. Um, you just never know. I suppose the, um, the teams will know best, of course. But I think that, that that plays a huge part, the psychological aspect of um, whether somebody needs to know every single point or, or what's going on. I'm sure they do. Um, and, but some riders don't, I think. Yeah, that's just my thought on that. I mean, actually, in reality, I know from being an educator that, uh, as I say with musicians, every single individual is different and thinks different. And of course, when they're riding a bike and they're racing, their minds are moving through an awful lot of complex things because we're very 
complex individuals, aren't we? And so uh, it's, it's incredibly difficult. You couldn't pin that down to one point to such a professional um, and fantastic rider uh, as that. You couldn't put it down to it. But it's just a slight thinking pattern there about the psychological aspects of something when people maybe are just having to push at that time. I guess I'm searching for something I'm not going to find, am I? I mean, you know, when I've been a jazz musician or a blues musician, certainly a jazz musician on the bandstand playing all night, you know, we can, I can be improvising in a similar way to another guy uh, playing the same thing and yet in the dressing room we chat in a way and we, uh, we see things completely different in our minds. So uh, every individual is different. It's unfair to try and pin something down and how the psychology of how somebody's thinking but you know we can kind of aim for some sort of general principle I think to sum up this section I think the general principle is really because we're so complex idiosyncrasy little things can interfere with our mindset and uh, those things coupled with such fine margins that often these things are taken into account and the other things I've said with age, time, layoffs, injuries, all those things, they play a part. And then trying to get back up to those levels can be extremely difficult. Um, the other analogy was probably, I don't know, back in my athletics days, I was a sprinter. You work to a point where on one particular season you're working, say, on 100 metres. I'm hitting 10.66s, I'm hitting county records and um, I've got to try and push to get down. Now I know that if I have to take more than six days off or something in that season I might find it very difficult but when I'm on a roll I might be able to push on with that season but if I miss a season or half a season I might, I might not ever get it back. That's the fine margins. I, for me I have to be right on the wire all the time and I think there's perhaps an element of that when they get onto that sort of crest for a bit and uh, pushing back up again you know inching away and of course the Alamante T for example you know for what I gather from listening to the top riders you know they're moving bit by bit uh, most of them the ones that survive really because they don't you know you don't want to leap too quick because uh, that's uh, you're not going to know the course well enough and as I say I was fortunate enough to know a few TT riders in my time in fact when I was became a jazz musician one of my best friends was a mechanic to a TT rider for a while and um, he loved jazz and I met him at a jazz gig, became friends with him. I'm going back into the early, early mid 90s and uh, late 80s, bit to mid 90s and late 90s. And then I got introduced to a whole load of biking fraternity and races and everything. Uh, I didn't have a bike or anything, but it was just uh, interesting that that sort of came, came full circle. You hear a lot of experienced TT riders say that when you race a TT you're looking at giving about 95-96% uh, as opposed to short circuits where you might be riding on 100% all the time. And I kind of get that because, um, you know, because of the precarious nature of the course. And yet you have the top riders saying that things like there were certain laps where they were having to push all in, you know, to get round, to get on the podium or they've been pushing hard for several laps and find themselves 40-50 seconds uh, up on the, you know, as a cushion uh, for position one um, over position two, so they ease off. So I guess again, you know, each individual is complex and all different 
they're all different animals yet the top riders once they've had a podium spot or a top five top six finish maybe you know in that ballpark they have an un, un they have an unbelievable desire to win winning winning is what counts and my old friend I told you about earlier the jazz and blues fan who used to show up and uh, introduce me to all these bikers back in the 90s you know and he used to mechanic for some of these guys he said some of them are unbelievable he says he knew one or two that had been brought up on farms had raced pigs tractors absolutely anything they just simply had to be in front and winning was what counts and nothing else uh, came close you know they, they just had that much drive in them which is a uh, you know incredible isn't it and you've got somebody like, uh, this is a fascinating character, the 23 times winner, the wonderful uh, John McGuinness, who probably uh, a slightly older version in terms of how they've gone about it than uh, the, the wonderful Ian Hutchinson. And, uh, and John, you know, he, he's, um, he seems to, uh, from what I've seen on documentaries and interviews, he seems to arrive at it from, from caution, would you believe? A bit like a football team that builds from the back and moves forward. Now, you know, maybe that is a way to, uh, to be successful and safe. Uh, um, it's certainly uh, been a good formula for John, uh, absolutely fantastic. If we look at the great uh, Joey Dunlop, the biggest ever winner with 26 TT wins and a curve at the 26 milestones named in his honour, awarded the MBE in 1986. But in 1996 awarded the OBE for his humanitarian work for children in Romania orphanages to which he delivered food and clothing. Apparently we've got another set of documentaries for you here to note the uh, V for Victory 1983 Joey, the man who conquered the TT 2013 and the road 2014. Tragically with Joey he um, he passed away, lost his life in a, a sort of out of the way uh, racing really in Estonia in the year 2000 while leading the 125cc class and he'd already won the 750 and the 600 and it was uh, severe weather conditions, wet conditions and he'd, uh, I believe he hit trees. So that was, uh, that's Joey and, and the, the great talent of today of course, I mentioned him earlier, Michael Dunlop who is, um, he was uh, a nephew to Joey and uh, of course then there was William Dunlop, another great TT racer, Michael's elder brother um, sadly he crashed and, and, and uh, passed away and then Robert who was uh, William and Michael's father who uh, he'd been a TT winner was a racer a good racer and he, he passed away in um, in a crash and so uh, you know William had died in a crash and so that uh, let's just leave Michael flying the flag who was a fantastic uh, fantastic racer with 19 wins uh, unbelievable as I said earlier he's still only 32 so he's still got lots of racing to go fantastic racer and um, so we'll have to see what happens uh, with the up-and-coming one so after a two-year layoff with Covid and all the rest of it the Isle of Man TT is back in full throw full flow should I say in May and early June 2022 who've we got well we've got the old guard your John McGuinness Ian Hutchinson hopefully Bruce Anstey, people like that, lots of other guys like that coming coming in. But of course you've got these new guns, you've got your Peter Hickmans, who these are guys with one TTs, Lee Johnson, Dean Harrison, Michael Dunlop. These are the big fish that are going to be appearing in 2022. Who's it going to be? Well I guess it could be any of them and uh, 
there's only just one thing that gives the outsiders a chance really in some senses is uh, the one thing that the uh, all the riders uh, fear the most and that's mechanical failure um, it's the one thing that they don't really want and if it is hopefully it's in an area where they're going to be safe you know but that's the one thing they dread is mechanical failure well I guess it could be any of those great riders couldn't it uh, yeah it could be a, an out, out, outsider of course a semi-pro or even a privateer but it's highly unlikely if the weather conditions are good it's going to be one of the top guys all capable of winning but uh, just a special note on this uh, on a character called Dean Harrison uh, fantastic personality uh, off the track as well as on I think and I think that uh, when his career is over if he carries on the way he's going he's going to win plenty more and he's a he's a good prospect for TV I think I think they should uh, they should really look at that he's got a good character off the track he's different slightly different from anybody he's not you know not like ones that have gone before but he's a, a great personality fantastic riding style and uh, his father's a sidecar racer a successful sidecar racer and I think Dean had started life out actually doing sidecars with his father I think he might have actually raced on one trip with him doing that but anyway he decided to go on two wheels and um, he won the uh, the TT uh, in recent it was it 2018 or 19 I can't remember when Lee Johnson won his yeah that's right Dean's won the uh, senior TT in 2019 before all the uh, big shenanigans with with Covid so um, and because uh, so I, I you know I've seen Dean interview obviously on YouTube I see him and he seems a great personality to be um, to be plucked from obscurity when all his racing days are over I think I think he's very much into his racing at the moment fantastic town interesting riding style I think and uh, he, he's definitely a, a fantastic prospect for this time as all the others are Michael Peter Hickman what a racer he is and Bruce Hansey if he gets there to the TT um, and, and lots of others that I haven't mentioned because as you say it's such a it's such a grueling and, and yet such a fantastic event if you've never been there you gotta try and get there it's uh, it's unique in the world I think and it really does uh, push mankind in, in, in certain ways with the machine to do uh, quite incredible things I think quite incredible things uh, at the same time the members of the public getting as up and in your face as close as as close as you'll ever get to something like this so if you've enjoyed the podcast and don't know anything about TT look it up check it out and if you can't get there have a look at it <coughs> um, on the broadcast there'll be plenty of people filming as they do nowadays they didn't always film it the way they do nowadays uh, which is great and let's just hope they have some fantastic racing they get dry weather and um, the main thing is that in all the categories that they have there and that all the racing that every single guy gets home everybody gets home safe that's the main thing and yet there's some incredible racing takes shape and uh, everybody has a great time spectators riders you know everybody and that's the main thing check it out the Alaman TT okay I'm done for today so um, don't forget to check back on all your other pods check out Harpo the Healer on YouTube all about the blues harmonica and uh, if you want a cognitive experience and keep yourself fit and healthy why not take up the blues harp you never know okay I'm gonna take it out with some blues I catch you on rebound <laughs>